All right, welcome to 570 Fire Tactics Presents Love the Job Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Tarapchak, and today I have one of my best friends with me here, Steve Shivernitsky. He's a captain at Tobyhan Army Depot Fire Department. Uh, we've been friends for well over 10 years. So welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you. Glad so, to be here. So uh, it's been a while since I saw you. It's been a while. Um why don't we give the viewers here a little uh, background on you first? So give us your give us your story, give us how long you've been in the fire service, and a little bit about you. Uh, I started in uh, 1989 uh, at the West Pittston uh, Volunteer Fire Department. Uh, I was there until 1995. I got hired at Fort McClellan in uh, Alabama, is the uh, Army's Chemical and Biological Weapons Training Base. From there, I went to Sunny Point in Southport, North Carolina, which was the Army's uh, shipboard uh, ammunition transport transport point. <clears throat> then to uh, Willow Grove, uh, down by Philadelphia. The infamous Willow Grove. The infamous Willow Grove. Uh, to live in my memory forever, almost four years in there. Uh, a lot of stories. Uh, and then, uh, then to Toby Hanna, where I'm where I'm at now. Yeah, and, and, and you got promoted to captain two years ago? Uh, it'll be three years in June. Three years in June. That's right. Um, yeah, and you that's where Steve and I know each other. I used to work at Toby Hanna Army Depot. Uh, I think it was 2010 is when I got there. You got to Toby Hanna in what year? 2001. 2001, and you've been there September ever since? September 10th, 2001. Oof. The day before the big one. day before 9-11. So... And it and it uh, at that time there were no captains, so there was no chance for promotion up to captain. There was only assistant chiefs at that point. Just assistant chiefs. So, but that's where I met Steve. I got there in October of 2010, and that's when I met Steve, and we became best friends after that. After an initial little bit of animosity, you know, bit. you know, I had that new guy syndrome where I thought I knew everything and. Slowly came to terms because there was a lot of senior guys there at the time. A lot of guys with a lot of experience, a lot of years in the system. And uh, you guys set me straight pretty early on in my career. And I always thank you for that because it definitely helped me out, you know, for where I'm at at this point in my career. Um, but, I mean, that, that was definitely an old school crew. I was definitely the – I think I was the youngest guy on the crew at the time. You were. I was. <laughs> I definitely was the youngest guy on the crew. But at that time, you know, we didn't have captains. We only had ACs, and it was a lot different time up there now versus now. I mean, we were single engine back then with a cross staff and an ambulance, and now it's, you know, two fully staffed pieces and no ambulance. No ambulance. And captains and ACs and a training slash prevention chief and inspectors. We kind of were all that back then. Good so man. definitely, definitely different times. Um First, I want to start off with, so how has the DOD changed from then till now? I mean, it, I mean, it's changed a lot just in, in the 12 years I've been in. But how has it changed since you got in? I mean, you, starting Fort McClellan's not even open anymore. Nope, it's closed. Closed in 1998. And, and, and actually, Willow Grove's not open anymore either. I mean, that's just an air guard base for the nope. state now. I'm a base closer. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's definitely different. I mean, Toby Hanna's changed a lot just in the time that, that we both were there. So why don't you, why don't you, for the people that know about DOD fire or may not know about DOD fire, why don't you tell them, you know, a little bit about how it's changed 
from then till now? Well, probably the probably the biggest change of when I first started. Uh, firefighters were uh, graded as fives, GS fives. So you had GS five firefighters, GS six driver operators, and GS seven lead firefighters or captains. Uh, so there was a lot more room to move up and be promoted. And then somewhere along the line, the DOD just decided to make everybody sixes and then eventually sevens. So uh, that was probably the biggest, probably one of the biggest changes since I started was the grading system, which kind of doesn't attract people when you don't really have a lot of potential to move up. Because most people don't get into this to stay in one spot. Some people do. I've known a lot of them, but not everybody wants that. I mean, one of the benefits to the DOD, though, is being able to, to maneuver around a little bit. And Worked I mean, the biggest fire department in the world. Yeah. And, you know, you started at Fort McClellan, and then that base closed, and then you went to Sunny Point, and then to Willow Grove, and then to eventually Toby Hanna. And, I mean, my journey's been similar. I started down in NDW, down in the D.C. area, went to Mechanicsburg, uh, work there and then to Toby Hanna and then I had, you know, what do they want to call it a luxury or, or whatever of, you know, going back to NDW, which was a great place. That's why I went back and then ended up at Carlisle where, you know, eventually I got promoted too. Um, so, I mean, that's the luxury of the DOD, but the changes we've seen and you've seen even more since you started, you know, not only the grading system of firemen, but just the way staffing's even worked since since you know you got in. Well, we were definitely better staffed when I first started. When I when I first started, I I seem to remember them saying there was around twelve thousand uh, DOD firefighters world worldwide, uh, and I think the last time I heard a number on that, it was somewhere around seventy eight hundred. So we were definitely better staffed. Uh, Fort McClellan had uh, two uh, two engine companies and and an ac and uh there was you know that was a lot a lot for them uh sunny point was the same way when i was there sunny point was even smaller than toby hannah if you could believe there's a you know smaller less busy place than toby hannah but you know <laughs> so staffing has definitely decreased for some increased for some it's 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 definitely changed a lot there's uh, i mean there's a lot less bases though too so i mean that really accounts i mean we had the big bracken 2005 which really cut down on staffing across the board just dod in general i mean dod civilians went down a lot after the brac because they bought a lot of people out and all that so the dod has definitely changed in in that aspect however fire prevention in the dod i think has increased a lot i mean there's more inspectors than there ever were before definitely a lot lot more focus on fire prevention than operations uh another you know another big change from when i got in <clears throat> there was still focus on fire prevention when i got in but it, it definitely has increased a lot yeah and i've even seen that just in my 12 years too fire prevention has increased tremendously um but that's that that's just a little bit about the dod for the people that that don't know so you, you'll hear references you know as steve and i talk you know, that if you're not in the DOD, you may not necessarily get them. Because, I mean, the DOD is different than your city and counties. Um, but in general, the job is still the same. You know, we're, we're there. Our number one goal is the citizens, you know, 
saving lives and protecting property. I mean, it's no different on a DOD installation. Uh, you run into some unique challenges, though, on a DOD installation versus sometimes your cities and counties. You know, from thing, you know, stuff that goes back to World War One or World War Two, that your normal city fireman's never going to see. You know, ordinances and stuff like that. That is actually a little bit more of an occurrence than you know you'd like to think. Or chemical weapons. Or chemical weapons. You know, even just storage of the latest and greatest for the DOD, which we won't get into, but it's there's there's definitely some unique challenges being a DOD fireman. Uh, we tend to be more of the the jack of all trades because we have to be, because we're it on an installation. Yeah, we might have mutualate agreements with the surrounding counties or cities or or towns around us, but we're it. We're the initial, that's it. So if you only got two engine companies, that's all you got until you get somebody to come on post, which sometimes can take a while. If they ever get on at all. If they ever get on at all. You know, especially if it's any type of national security incident, ain't nobody coming on post. And then you're definitely it. So if you got some sort of chemical fire in a, in a facility, <laughs> Doing more with less. I mean, that's definitely been the DOD model for a long time, too. But, so, I know you wanted to talk about, today we'll change gears, you wanted to talk about the Brotherhood. And and you and I have gone on some huge talks, not only when we worked together, when we used to sit around and, and talk you know, on our downtime about the Brotherhood, but we've had a lot of talks in that five years since I've worked there about how the brother brotherhood has been changing even since then. Um, one thing I can think of in particular, well, why don't you, why don't first, why don't you give what your synopsis on the brotherhood from when you started till, till what it is now. And obviously we can only relate to PA because it seems to be different in different areas of the country. You know, you can see some areas of the country, it's a lot closer knit firemen versus others um but you know what have you seen that the brotherhood is from when you got on in you know volunteer and career from 89 till 2020 here well probably the probably the biggest difference uh between when i started and and today as far as uh you know what we call the the idea of the the, the brotherhood is <clears throat> when i you know when i first got into this if you, uh, you know, if you had a project going on in your house, if you were going to hang some sheetrock or something, it wasn't even a, a question. It was, there'd be 20 people at your door there to, there to help you. You know, that's, uh, you know, seems to be uh, kind of gone by the wayside, those kinds of things. Getting together to have uh, parties and uh, get-togethers and things have, have kind of gone by the wayside. They're just, they're just not there anymore some of the uh you know i don't want to rope a rope a whole group of people in together with things but the, the the new generation of firefighters the millennials or you know whatever generation they're being called this week uh a lot of them come in to this and think that they get what i get and they they should start at the top and that's just not the way that it, it's just not the way things work you got to earn your right to do the you know to have that that spot have that privilege have that privilege it, you know the people forget you know especially 
the career side of things. Not that the volunteer side shouldn't be. They, they really should be one and the same. But it's a paramilitary organization. You, when you join the military, you don't come in as a colonel or or as a general. You come in as a private, and you get the shit kicked out of you. You know, and they ship and they you know they they beat you in the shape. And the fire service really should be no different. When you come in, whether it's a volunteer or career, you're coming in with the least amount of knowledge compared to some of the senior people, especially to the firehouse that you're coming into, you know, and, and to come in and think that you should have the the same break day or the same amount of vacation days, or it just doesn't work like that. You know, I, I'm all for being fair and there's ways that you can be fair to everybody, but still earn your keep. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, you know, to me, the biggest thing that I see in, uh, in today's, today's service is that, uh, people don't understand that that earning earning your way through you just don't get it uh you know and that that's volunteer or career it's the same thing when i started in the volunteer fire department you didn't just walk in and start driving you know you didn't walk in and take a class and all of a sudden you're you know they're going to send you into the building versus somebody else i mean it it you, everybody earns everything and it seems that in this world today in this world of, uh, you know, everybody gets the same thing, that that's the way that this is supposed to work. And it's, it's just not, and it seems that's the way that it kind of, it's kind of going. I mean, we, you know, the older, more experienced people try to keep it in check as much as possible, but it it doesn't always work. Do you think part of the problem is, is over the years, uh, especially during the recession, a lot of the old timers and the old school people, your senior guys, got bought out. Whether it was a city department, a county department, DOD, people were getting bought out across the board, and and or made to retire. And there was a lot of experience that went out the door, and a lot of new people came in because they you know everybody was looking to well you know we can get rid of these guys that are costing us the most money. And and this is this is of course the the pencil pushers and stuff like that, not the people that are necessarily in the job. These are the people downtown in cities and and counties, and the people in the bigwigs up in in for DOD. So I mean, every aspect of it across the board, everybody was getting cut, and those people you were losing that seniority. So the new guys coming in, they didn't. They didn't even get any direction because most of the, some of the guys that were around, instead of having guys that were 20, 30 years on a job, some of the most senior guys were 10 years on the job. That's a, that's, you know, that's a good point too. I mean, that's another thing, you know, definitely saw that throughout my time in the DOD. I mean, <clears throat> when I first started at Toby Hanna, I was 28 and the uh, next oldest guy to me was, uh, was just turned 40 and then everybody after him was 50 so uh you know one of the things i learned there that again it seems like going back into the brotherhood thing is that you know i was i was told right away when i got there like there's a lot of experience here there's a lot of people that know a lot of different things specifically about toby Anna, and and when they're gone they're gone you know you need to suck up what you can from those people because once they're gone, you'll never you'll never have it back. 
and uh, you know, again, I think that's uh, you know going back to our, our to the brotherhood. That's part of being in the brotherhood is is passing on to the next group what you know and what you've learned and the mistakes that you made and all of those things, so that they don't do the same thing. But it seems the the newer group of people coming in, they don't. Some are interested, and some could really care less. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not as uh, as seasoned as you, although I'm, I, my gray hair is starting to show, and I'm starting to look a little more seasoned. But um, I, I've even been able to tell. I mean, I grew up in the fire service. You know, I grew, my dad was volunteer fire chief, uh, paid uh, paid guy, paid driver um, in the '80s and the '90s, and I can remember always either being down a firehouse. Or guys coming over, guys hanging out after shift, and you know, and even when I started coming up through, you know, when I was a volunteer, you know, we'd go out for dinners. Guys would come over, and you'd help each other with projects. And now it's just kind of like guys just come and go. I mean, do you think it's 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 the culture, or do you think it's it's the way things are now because of families? People are taking more time with their families than they are with the job because they spend so much time at work. I don't think since I've started doing this to now that uh, the family dynamic itself has changed too much. I mean, I grew up in a two income household, you know, my parents grew up in a one income household. So I don't, I don't think that uh, the family dynamic is so much the change in how things are and why there's, you know, less volunteers and, and those things. I think it's, uh, you know, at least in my experience in the, in the at least in the volunteer fire service, is uh, you get people that think they're owed something in there or they think because of what their name is that, you know, they walk in the door and they, again, they get all of these things and that's why you end up with you know fire chiefs and volunteer departments that are 25 years old i mean that's just some of that stuff is just crazy and i think because of those things it drives people away from it they don't want to they don't have to deal with it especially in a volunteer fire department you don't have to deal with it that kind of stuff uh i you know i don't i honestly don't think that the family has much to do with the decline in those things I think it has more to do with that me, I attitude. Could it could it even be the the schedules? I mean, the schedules are a lot different now too. I mean, you know, to, to think back, I mean, everybody always used to work, and not for the DOD, but in general, a lot of places worked the what do they call the Philly schedule, where it was the two days, two nights, and then four days off. So you got to spend a lot of time with your brothers after shift when you were on a day tour. You know. Or before work, when you were on the night tour on all those days off, you know, now there's a lot of 24-hour shifts. So guys aren't living as close to the job as they once did. You know, I can I know a lot of guys that live up here in Northeast PA and drive down to Maryland, drive to Virginia, D.C., New York City, you know, Philly, you know, wherever. And they're driving, they're commuting because they like where they live. And with the schedules out there now you can do that so now you got guys that are living in northeast pa central pa jersey delaware new york and all working at the same firehouse so it's a little bit harder to have that camaraderie 
outside of work because everybody lives so far. Instead of doing it every day after shift, it's now maybe a once a month or once every couple months thing. I think. Well, t t touch on that first. Well, there, I mean, there's that. That's that's uh, the schedules are uh, you know a big part of uh, in the career department. The the schedules are a big part of what a lot you know what allows you to be able to do things with with the people you work with and or not. Uh, you know, again, when I first started in the DOD, our schedule was 24 on and 24 off. Yeah, I worked that god awful schedule too. You know, you're either you're either coming or going every day. It just you know it was a horrible schedule, and and uh, you know especially when I was at Fort McClellan, it was a it was a really really busy department there. So your entire life focused around work because when you left work, you were beat, and you went home and took a nap, and then by the time you got up, you know it was noon, and then you were back in bed early because you knew you were going to get beat up again the next day uh, so the new the newer schedules that we work now that most people work with the working the two on and two off has certainly helped that a lot well and and with the 24 on 24 off you couldn't live nearly as far as you can doing the the, no. the 48 on and 72 no. off or 48 on 48 no this 48 people off. this people driving for big distances is, is a you know probably a newer thing you know mid-2000s uh, again, when we started changing into the, the 48 schedules, I mean, it, it you know it makes sense, especially if you're going to work someplace like down in D.C. or something like that, where the cost of living is astronomical, to stay living here because you're going to your drive is there, and then you don't leave for two days. So, uh, you know, the other uniqueness of the of the of the D.O.D. that uh, kind of hurts as far as you know the the brotherhood goes is that it's not like a city where everybody lives there. You know, if you if you're a Philly fireman, you probably live in Philly. Uh, when you're a DOD fireman, uh, like you take Toby Hanna for example, you know I live in Wyoming Valley. You live in Hazleton. You know uh, another guy lives in Stroudsburg. This guy lives in New Jersey. I mean, people are all over the place. So it's 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 definitely difficult to try and get those you know kinds of things together. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I know a lot of guys in, in Philly and New York City and stuff, and they're definitely a lot closer knit as far as that goes because most of them live in that area. But, I mean, even still, I mean, when when I worked with you, you know, most of us at that time lived within 20 minutes of each other, a half hour, which wasn't too bad. Um, you know, I can remember we used to do stuff our particular shift quite often. It wasn't necessarily every week but we were doing stuff you know once twice a month at a minimum you know we, we would all get together and do something together whether it was just going out to eat or one of one of us was always having a party of some sort um now you have people i'm sure from all over the place i can tell you, you know where i'm at now you know i'm driving an hour and 50 minutes um there's a guy drive two guys driving over two and a half hours from Pittsburgh. You know, got another guy from Schuylkill County that's driving an hour and a half. You know, and then we got people towards Allentown. We got guys from Maryland. There's people all over the place. The closest people, the two closest guys, live ten minutes in town, but everybody else is spread out. The next closest people then are a half hour, forty five minutes away. So to try and get that, that's that's the that's the part of these 24-hour and 48-hour shifts, whether it's DOD or, or um, you know, uh, the cities and the counties. That's what makes it tougher to get together. 
So I think that definitely has hurt the Brotherhood a little bit. Um, you don't have to be. It doesn't, you know, going out and drinking isn't just the Brotherhood, though. I mean, it, it, there's a lot more to that. It's the having people come over, you know, to help out, like you said, throwing up some drywall or when you move and you, the guys show up and, and help you um, help you move. You know, stuff like that is, is definitely all in, in, in the Brotherhood as well. Oh, that was really loud. Um... So, I think that's changed though a little bit. You know, I, I I've definitely seen that part change. I mean, when your when your house flooded back in 2011, I mean, we spent days, well, weeks helping you clean up. We did there was uh, and it, you know, and again going onto the you know onto the brotherhood, there were there were quite a few people that I that I worked with that 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 were there and there were some that you know some that weren't and that's you know that that never those kinds of things never would have happened uh you know when i started doing this you know if it, if it was you know if, it, if if something like that had happened to somebody everybody would be there there's just there's just no doubt it wouldn't even have been a question you know and, and that's where i question is it our area because you see all around the country different things like you see it on Facebook and I mean social media has definitely let everybody in to see how things are in other places and you see a lot of the tight-knit groups across Facebook and Twitter and whatever else Instagram and all that other stuff um, and it just seems so different from what we got here at times yeah I, mean, I, I think the brotherhood groups are, are here are just smaller they're not some of these big groups that you see around the country. And it, and it might be that, that whole, you know, DOD versus the city thing, too, um, where those guys are a little bit more tight-knit because they all live close together. But it just seems like Pennsylvania as a whole, it just seems like the, the brotherhood groups are tremendously smaller than, than they are anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely... You know, uh, going from living in different states, and uh, it's definitely a bigger. I'd say, I'd certainly say, Pennsylvania's got a lot more issue with with those kinds of things than what I've seen. You know, I've seen other places. I mean, I I could specifically remember uh, uh, when I moved uh, to Alabama. I was 21 years old. I just moved 1,100 miles away from home. You know, I had no family, no nothing, no life experience or anything and i mean those people that work there they just you know they they took me under their wing and they did just all kinds of unbelievable things to help me out you know as far as my uh, not just work but as far as my my life went i mean i just i wouldn't be where i'm at today if it wasn't for that experience i know that i know that for a fact and you don't you just don't see those kinds of things anymore you just don't you just don't see it and yeah, it's, it's it's it it is it is kind of you know it is kind of sad. Yeah, I I agree. You know, and you and I really truly believe in the brotherhood. You know, and and we've had these private private talks about that. That you know, as much as things have changed, you, you still want to believe the brotherhood's there. And and 
problem is, is a lot of times you only see it when when we're at a funeral. Um, and I and there are there are pockets of people that really do believe in the brotherhood, and there are some that just unfortunately, and this is in any any job field, that there are people that are just literally there for themselves. You know, and some people are just closed, or, or I don't want to say closed off, but are more private now than they were back then. I mean, it is different times. You know, people are much more private now than they were before. Um, so you do you do see that, and I think that might contribute contribute some to that. But uh, we were just talking at work last night. We we were watching Rescue Me. You know, and I I mean, say what you want about that show. I mean, it was definitely a unique show. Um, one of the things we did say though was the way that they portray firemen to be as far as the brotherhood, those guys on that show acted like brothers. They certainly did. Um, I mean, listen, you fight, I mean, the, I mean, listen, brother, the brotherhood, it's not all peaches and cream and roses and, and dandelions and all that stuff. I mean, you definitely do get into arguments. You get into fights. I mean, it's just nature of the beast. But, and you saw that on that show, but it also, that show showed when times were tough, guys were there for each other. And it, there were guys on that, and again, it's still a TV show, but, you know, talking to old timers, they were like, well, that's how the brotherhood used to be. It's the way it used to be. Absolutely. And it, and it's and unfortunately those groups are just smaller now. So I don't want I don't want to necessarily necessarily say the brotherhood's gone because it's not. It's I think it's just in smaller pockets. It's just, instead of it being everybody, it's it's groups. And you've heard me say this before. Sometimes I feel like it's not a true brotherhood. It's a brotherhood for convenience. And and what I mean by that is, you know. I'll be your brother when it's convenient for me, but when it's not, I'm not, I'm not really your brother. I'm there, but I'm not your brother. And I'm not saying everybody's like that because I'm. It, that's absolutely not the case. But it just feels like that. Like sometimes you got, you know, the people you can count on that will be there no matter what, and they're your true, the true brothers and sisters. And then there are those that are the brotherhood for convenience. That as long as it's convenient for them, yeah, they'll absolutely be there for you. But when it's not convenient for them, they're, they're just they're just not going to be there. You know who your true brothers are when they're willing to come over to your house and literally shovel shit out of your cellar. Yeah. Actual shit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that. You know, that's... Uh, Those were Tyvek suit days and... You know, that's... Uh, that's, that's to me, those, those kinds of things are true brotherhood. You know, and uh, I... Uh, you know, I couldn't couldn't thank everybody enough for all of those things that you know that that were done for me and you know i and i know that a lot of those things were done because the, the people that came to help they know that i would do the same for them so and that's the you know that's again a, another difference with you know like well like you're saying the brotherhood for convenience you know it's it's brotherhood all the time not just when it's convenient for sure and that's a you know again something you see you see now is it's you know when, like you said when it's convenient for me you are and when it's not it's not right and 
you know, it, it we got into some good discussions last night while watching Rescue Me about that kind of stuff. And uh, it really hit home, you know, that, that you know, the, the times have definitely changed and whatnot. And, I, you know, I'm a very big, uh, I'm very big on doing stuff as a crew. You know, I, I try to, you know, whether it's at my, you know, at my job or, 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 you know, in the past here, uh, my, uh, you know, when I was volunteering very, you know, very actively, you know, I always tried to get people, whether it was training or just trying to do stuff together. And it just seems like it's harder and harder to get that now. And I don't know if it's just a clash of personalities now, or if it, again, if it's just the, the change of the times and the way people think about stuff, you know, or, or is it, you know, the stress of the job? Do people just want to, when they get out of work, do they just want to unwind with their families? Oh, I mean, there's, you know, definitely all those things are true. Uh, you know, we all know this job is stressful, whether you're, you know, running a million calls or not. You know, I mean, one of the first things I was told when I got hired at Fort McClellan is that 95% of this job is other and 5% of it is firefighting. And if you're not good at the other, then you got nothing. You could be the greatest firefighter on the planet, but you know if you don't have a, a good, strong brotherhood inside your firehouse, and uh, you know, and and all of those things, you 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 really have nothing. And I think you can see that, and I, I think the DoD actually exposes that a little bit because the places that always have openings, you always hear about problems in those places. The places that you might see an opening once every couple of years or, you know, even if it's just once a year, just because of the, the, the retirement rate in the DOD, you know, those places you hear that, oh man, everybody gets along. The atmosphere is great. The brotherhood's strong. The places that are always hiring multiple people at a time, a couple times a year, you normally hear, oh, the brotherhood's not really that strong there. You know, the morale's not that great. And they go hand in hand together. Um, so, you know, I, I think the DOD really exposed that. And I'm sure if we brought people in from whatever city or whatever county could probably say the same thing about stations in their districts. So, oh, yeah, you know, this, this station, you know, you can't get into it because of how great of a place it is to work and, and everybody gets along and the brotherhood strong versus other places in that district or in that county or city. Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely, uh, you know, I can only speak career-wise for the, you know, for the DOD, of course, but, uh, you know, I've worked at places that people left retired, and I've worked for places that people left to go work for the street department because they hated it that much, uh, you know, and it's, 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 it's definitely progressively, to me, has progressively gotten worse and worse and worse. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what the what the ultimate answer is other than, you know, love your brother. Because, uh, you know, one of my first experiences as a, as a, as a firefighter in West Pittston was, uh, you know, went to a fire and two, two firefighters died. And that, uh, you know, that, that certainly changes a lot in your brain. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, get into this for the wrong reasons and they don't understand uh, that you you actually can 
die doing this. You know, that that can happen. You can be severely injured doing this. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people that get into this understand that. And, you know, when it comes to those things, that's when you'll count on your brothers the most. Uh, not only to help you or whatever, but to take care of your family. I mean, that's, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, it's like the mafia, you know, when they, when they, when they killed somebody, they always ended up taking care of their family after that, you know, and those are the kinds of things that, uh, you want to hope it's going to happen if any of these things happen to you. I mean, I remember, uh, Captain Robeson in Scranton when he was killed, uh, uh, I wasn't, I didn't participate in this, but I, I was told that the, he was currently putting a roof on his house when that happened and, and all the Scranton firefighters went over and help finish the roof on his house. I mean, that's, that's what you call true brotherhood. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's, that's the stuff you hear about and, and see. And, and, you know, I've tried to visit a lot of places throughout my career. You know, when we go on vacation, I try to stop in and, and try to see what other cultures in the fire service are like, you know, in other States. And I, I, I again, I think it really depends on just where you're at. I mean, Scranton's not that far from here. But anybody that knows anything about Scranton, that is a very tight-knit fire department. They definitely are. That is a very tight-knit fire department. Um, so I would say probably tighter than any, any other department in this area. Not saying that other departments aren't tight. Don't get me wrong. It just, it's very well known that, you know, in instances like that. So... You know, it's, and that's how it should be across the board. Unfortunately, it's just not, you know, some places are tighter than others, but you know, it is what it is. You know, we, we could talk all day on the brotherhood and, and, and stuff like that. But I think we covered a lot just, just on that. And I'm sure it'll probably ruffle some feathers and, but hope, but everybody needs I've to I've never do... been known not to be the person not to ruffle some feathers. So yeah, well... And that's why you... it took me 20 years to get promoted. Uh, you and I are very much alike, too. <laughs> I think that's why we get along so well, because you and I speak our mind. You know, we're, we're not afraid to to speak up when things are wrong, to, to try and get things the right way. But that's because you and I believe in the brotherhood and believe that people should be able to take criticism, should be able to... to hear new ideas and different ideas because that's all part of that's all part of being part of the brotherhood is being able to do all that kind of stuff and some people can take it and some people can't uh that just kind of goes into the you know to training and or uh, not even so much training but this the topic of you know taking this job seriously sometimes i, I feel like People don't take this job 100% serious. You know, they're there for a paycheck. And, you know, and, and it shows in, in, in training. Because you have some people that will do the bare minimum to get the bare minimum training and get a check in a box. And, then that, and that's as far as they go. And then there are others that are throwing ground ladders at 6 o'clock at night or pulling a hand line at 6 o'clock at night. Because they screwed up on a call and they want to make sure that they don't ever do that again. You know, so there's, that's where you can really see it. You know, what, uh, you know, what, what, do you, what do you think about that kind of topic? Well, I mean, uh, you know, training is definitely, I mean, it's important. It gives you 
you know, it certainly gives you the, the foundation for what you're going to need to, to do this. And, you know, again, going to what you said about, you know, people, some people don't take this job very seriously. It's absolutely true. And it, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying before, you know, as far as, you know, the, uh, the brotherhood goes is that you should be train as much as possible and not just, you know, train to write down on a piece of paper that you did it, you know, good quality, meaningful training. I mean, the things that you learn in there from the people that are teaching you from the people that are taking the class, it, it could save your life one day. You know, somebody could tell you something that you've never heard, never heard before. You know, I know you've heard me say this before. You learn something new every day, whether you want to or not. That's and, it. you know, uh, you can't, you, any training you go to, you're going to learn something. You're absolutely going to learn something. So, uh, you know, do I, you know, I, training is absolutely important. It's, it's, but again, good quality training, not just not checking know, the box, not checking the box. Right. And that's, and you know, being, being a, an instructor and being around the fire service, like I have, as far as traveling around, and I'm sure you'll be able to touch on this too. You know, when you're trying to teach people new stuff that maybe you saw, you know, on the internet or on, you know, at another department that you were at, people get defensive about it. They do. And, and instead of just keeping that in the back of your mind, like, okay, yeah, I might, maybe I'm not necessarily going to do it this way, but you know what? Probably a good idea if I try it just so I'm in the back of my mind, if my way doesn't work you at least have another way of doing something. And some people are very receptive to it. There are a lot of a lot of firemen that take this job so seriously that they want to learn every way to do it, and they get obsessed about it. And then there are some that are just very stuck in their ways and don't want to learn anything new. Uh, you know, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, you know, the... I'm 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 always receptive to new things, but you know one thing that that I see in the fire service a lot, and this isn't any different than when I first started, is just changing something for the sake of changing it. Uh, you know, uh, we we talked about uh, in your class about the, uh, you know, the different hose stretches and the gallons per minute, the gallons per second, <clears throat> and all of those things, and uh, we just got peaked, uh, interest peaked at at work just last week about some of the stretches that we have to make into some of the buildings and you know the buildings you know as good as i do and there's some some long stretches in there oh yeah you know so we got everybody out and uh didn't you know took some measurements in and we found that the the longest absolute longest stretch that we would have would be 530 feet so uh you know we you know, I said, I said, we can sit here and we can put this up on the board and do fire ground calculations on what this is going to take to do, but it, nothing's ever better than actually doing it. I said, so let's just take a hose, we'll stretch it 500 feet, you know, we'll, we'll put some two and a half on the end of the three and see what we get. Now, I thought for sure that we weren't going to get much water out of the end of that, that long of a hose, but, you know, I was proven wrong and we did it. So, you know, we're changing some of the ideas of how we're going to do that now. So, uh, you know, going back to that, you know, changing or new ideas or, or anything, I'm always for it. And I think most people are, but I certainly get upset when it's like, let's just change it because 
Well, that, that's the thing. Your change has to be for the right reasons, not just because you want to do something or somebody else wants to do something. You need to have logic behind it as to why this is. But, I mean, you, you can look at that twofold, too. You know, you can look at it on one side that, okay, well, it's good to know the different ways in case you need to go to a different technique or, or, or tactic. But at the same time, like you said, you don't want to just change it just to change it either. And that's the training part for me, you know, just showing somebody something, you know, I, I put out the disclaimer anymore so people don't get mad is I'm just showing you this way. You don't have to go to it. Keep it in the back of your mind, you know, because again, if it's something that somebody maybe not is a hundred percent interested in right off the bat, that they won't pay attention or they're just, they're, they're going to end up being a distraction. Versus, you know, when I make that that comment, it tends to put people at ease like, okay, well, they're not trying to change me in the way I do things. So they're a little bit more receptive to just paying attention and trying something. Um, but you too often, you know, more often than not in the fire service, we just change things just to change them. Just to change them. Um, I mean, it, which kind of goes against the whole thing of fire departments hate change. You know, everything's based on tradition and, and everybody's heard that at some point, you know. What what was that? What was it? You know, 120 years of tradition impeded or impeded by progress or something. Was yeah, I don't remember. I know the saying. I I can't remember exactly what yeah. it is. What the what what was that? That was. Uh, I think that came from a Combs cartoon. Yeah, I believe. I I forget exactly what that was, uh, exactly. But it was something based on you know, you know. 100 years of tradition. Uh, you know, unimpeded by zero years of progress. It was yeah. something along that line. Yeah, something along that lines. You know, I think we need to because the fire service is changing in in a sense of our buildings are changing. You know, the the building construction has absolutely been changing, and and for the worse, for us. You know, for the for the construction workers, yeah, it's fine. It's making making their profits go you know through the roof. However, it's making it more and more dangerous for us. Very dangerous. Um, and and actually. More importantly, is making it more dangerous for the civilian. Um, you and I have had this talk too. That that's one thing that has changed drastically in the last twenty years. It, it's gone from one end to the other and, and kind of coming back. Is you know it went from it was all about the civilian and the people, then it went to that progression there in the two thousands where it was, uh, it's all about me and all about being you know the fireman's number one. You know that all, all that safety oriented stuff and we got way too safety conscientious about everything you know to the point that we weren't even going to people weren't even going into fires anymore they were going defensive they pull up and it would look impressive and they would just defensive tell the transitional attack got <laughs> hey listen it has its place it, it just all listen since the dawn of time, the fire service has been doing transitional attacks. They just decided to call it something. It got a fancy freaking name. That's all. That's all that did was it got a fancy name, and it the fancy name took off. We've been doing transitional attacks. My dad talked. Me and my dad talked about this probably two years ago. That he's like, we've been doing the thing. He goes, what is this transitional attack stuff? I was like, I explained it to him, and he's like, we've been doing that since the seventies. When I first started, he said, all they did was give it a name. I said, that's it. That's it. Gave that's it all name. they did. But now the pendulum. You got to rewrite their essentials manual and make it a new edition. Yep. 
now you're seeing that pendulum starting to swing back around though and we've got a lot of good instructors out there now that aren't drinking the kool-aid and they're really honing in about you know the civilians first you know this job is inherently dangerous it says so right in your turnout gear and your helmet it does when you when you get on this job that's you know that or you should know that i mean going uh you know off of some of the off of some of the things you said, you know, I mean, we certainly got a little out of control there, uh, you know, probably in the early mid two thousands as far as the, you know, promote a culture of safety and and all of those things, uh, and you know, I I'm not I'm not a person to to say that we should do things unsafely. I mean that's just that's just stupid, but what we got away from was learning how to make calculated risks and what we got away from was learning how to look at the building and see what it is that it's telling us you know what color the smoke is where is it coming from uh you know where is there no smoke uh but flames i mean all of those things we kind of got away from uh learning how to do those things uh doing a true size up when you pull up doing a true size up and know what it is that's probably going on when you see it uh, and it, because of this, that, that time of safety, we got away from learning how to do all that stuff. And, you know, people coming in at that time didn't learn it. So they, you know, now that now it's, they pull up, well, there's a fire, everybody's out, let it burn to the ground. Well, that's, you know, if that's what you signed up for, then you're, you, you really shouldn't be here because it's just not the way that it should be. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I've heard people in my, in my time say, Man, that was a really good fire. And I know that you've heard me say this before. There's no such thing as a good fire. You understand that somebody's house just burned down. You know, that's somebody's stuff. And, uh, you know, you may not think that it's worth a risk to you to go in there and try and save some of those things for them, to put the fire out and let them have some of those irreplaceable items. But it means the world to those people. You know, my, my, my parents' house burned in, in uh, 2010, and it, you know, that really woke me up to get you to understand uh, that, yes, life's is mo- the life, life safety is the most important, the lives are most important, but that property is important, too. That's important to those people. The, the, the three things that, that the fire service mission was all about. You know, and if you aren't willing to go into a building to save somebody's property, because you think it's too dangerous, well, again, you're probably in the wrong, you know, you're you're in the wrong business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hear me talk about that a lot, uh, and even you see the, my posts on on the, the Facebook page talking about the citizen needs to be first. You know, it, it's it the culture. It, it's definitely changing because you're seeing a lot more people putting that out there now versus ten years ago, uh, which is which is awesome that we're we're transitioning back unfortunately there are instances like i'm sure did you see the atlanta story i did the you know that got suspended for for making a making grab. a grab yep making a grab yeah freelancing he, he was freelancing even though he was assigned the search group and he just beat his crew to the door there was a crew from the engine company already on the porch putting getting ready to put water on fire and he took a calculated risk knowing there was entrapment didn't go into the house more than 10 or 15 feet and, and made a grab and gave somebody the opportunity to live. 
and you, you you see the result. He got you know eight months later, he gets suspended for four days without pay, which blows my mind. It's 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 definitely ridiculous. And you know, like one of the one of the posts I think I saw about it said, you know, suspended today, he'll get an accommodation at the end of the year for you know making the grab. And that's how you know that's how ridiculous that you know that's how ridiculous that is. And to me, that comes down to a lot of the, you know, going back to training. Uh, you know, of course, in, in training, you're taught never do it by yourself. It's always with somebody else. You know, so uh, and that's where the, you know, this is where the experience of people comes in. And then, you know, there's what training tells you to do, which is not useless. But then there's the reality of the situation that's presented to you, and you can't take every situation and say, this is what I'm going to do. It's going to be different every time. And, you know, I'm sure that captain was experienced enough to know what he was looking at and what he was going to do. And, and he, and he did it. Well, I, here's something I want everybody to kind of think about. And I want you to think about this for a second. You know, the, a lot of the culture now and a lot of the training now being pushed. And I think it's probably one of the best things going right now is Ben Ender search. That's a good one. And so think about it. Vent under search. Sometimes you're by yourself and, and you're going and again, into an isolated area. And again, now we've already taken VES, which has been in existence for probably 10 years and had to add something else to it. Well, right. You which know, you're already going to do anyway. Right. Isolate. And those are the kinds of things but, that aggravate me when we take that. And, 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 and put one little spin on it so that way it's you can redefine it. It's still the same thing. Right. But think about this. So we encourage VES as a fire service now because it's saving lives, and it absolutely is saving lives. Okay. Sometimes the you might be with a partner that might be on the ladder as you go in and search a room and come back out. Sometimes it might be you, you, and that's it. So what is the difference between VESing a bedroom and what this guy did? Nothing. This There's guy, no there was a crew on the porch, saw him go in, went in, didn't go that far into the building, made the grab, and came back out. Sound Sounds to me like kind of made a quote-unquote VES. He took a calculated risk, went in, and made a grab. And there were people there. And if... And if people don't believe it, it, there's a video of it where it shows him coming out onto the porch with the crews on the porch. So I, that's, that's what just blows my mind is, is this guy did exactly his job. And that, and that goes back to, like you said, you know, I can't tell you what the, this chief's thinking. Is it a training issue on the chief's part that maybe he's not up on the times? I don't know. I, I can't say that for sure. And I won't, and I won't take a guess on that. But it just blows my mind that we're trying to change this culture that we were in to this to back to the citizens first. And this guy put the citizen first and he's getting reprimanded for it. I would do the same exact thing that he did. I'd take that reprimand all day long. I would too. You know, go ahead, suspend me for doing my job. Because you know what? This guy I don't know this captain, but he is you've seen you heard a lot of stories come out since then of how great of a guy he is. And You've seen the Brotherhood actually, everybody from all around the country backing this guy up. And that's what the Brotherhood's all, really all about. Backing each other up. Even if you don't know them. Don't know them from Adam. 
Listen, dude, like that guy, that guy's got my support, man. You know, I, I, I firmly believe that that chief is wrong. And that guy did the, the right thing, and I'm sure he would do it again. You know, so. And then you have that, and then you have the exact uh, opposite end of the spectrum of that captain in Florida that. Didn't go in. Didn't go in. Yep. You know, and and his uh, his administration for a time defended him to the hilt. Yep. They defended him. On, on his actions and again we don't know the circumstances you know 100 percent. we can only go by what we've read and there may be other you know circumstances in atlanta too that that may not be said or may have been aired out right now we can only go by what face value of of both these incidents but you're right you have one instance where you have a captain that went in made a grab and quote unquote was breaking the rules a freelancing and then you had another incident in in Florida with firemen that didn't go in to save a confirmed victim that was still on the phone with the 911 dispatcher. And you're right, he was. They were defended for for a, a, a time period. Um, so it, it, who's who's right and who's wrong? You know, you you have two two different departments to handle the situation two different ways. That can be confusing to some. I mean, we. I mean, we know, and we just said it that we would do whatever, all day long. We'd go in and, and pull that victim out. But these chiefs are sending the wrong message by doing stuff like this. You have two different, highly qualified and, and, and respected chiefs making two different, completely completely different decisions on how to handle an incident like this. So, and, you know, of course, we don't know any of the internal circumstances surrounding, right. you know, either one of them. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's been my experience uh, from the time that I've been doing this that uh, if you take the, 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 the Atlanta incident where the, you know, the captain rescued somebody and then got suspended for it, my guess would be that uh, there's other, other things other than that, that, you know, they were probably going after this guy for something else anyway, yeah. you know, and this was their, their reason to do it, even though it's ridiculous. And, you know, again, on the other end of the spectrum, same thing with the, uh, the, the Florida incident, you know, uh, maybe he was one of the chief's buddies and that's why they defended him the way that they defended him. Yeah, uh, we'll never know that answer. And I mean, it's really not, any, not any, for us to know, either. but for any common sense thing, looking you know, looking on, on the outside, looking in, and just, again, you know, like you said, only knowing what we read. Uh, under any circumstance, how could somebody get suspended or reprimanded <laughs> for saving somebody? I mean, I know the woman eventually ended up dying later on at the hospital, but... Uh, that's besides you know, the point, besides though. Besides the point, how could you get... How could you, how could you in your brain think that it's a good idea to suspend somebody for that? Right. And, and, and you're right, you, both circumstances, we'll never know the, the true answer. And, I mean, it, is it our business? As firemen, I think it is because you would obviously want to know the underlying reason, but I don't think we'll ever truly know. Maybe there'll be enough of an outcry with this one that we'll, that we'll find out. Who knows? But let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with part two here. We've been talking for just about an hour, so right. let's take a break. We'll be right back. All right, we're back for part two 
of Love the Job podcast. Again, I'm here with Steve Shervinitsky, one of my best friends and captain at Tobiana Army Depot Fire Department. So we, we left off with, with kind of the, the training stuff. Uh, we were talking about the, the instances. We kind of got off topic a little bit with, with the incidents with uh, Atlanta and, and Florida. But so, the, I mean, I mean, it is, you know, th those are very important things. And that's like current events for us. But uh, training, you know, we were talking about, you know, the different trainings out there and the way training has kind of evolved. Um, and, you know, like, like we said, you know, went from, you know, you were trained on being aggressive and making aggressive fire attacks and searches to we went very safety conscientious in the in the 2000s to now we're back to getting back to that aggressive mindset um do you feel that the training is is where it needs to be though or do you think some of it's behind or do you think it's kind of a mix uh well <clears throat> i mean i think training i mean training obviously training classes have certainly you know they've vastly improved since since I first started, I mean, there wasn't even a, you know, you couldn't get state fire academy classes at your, your, your firehouse when I, when I started. And if you could, I didn't even know about it. Uh, so they've, they've certainly uh, improved uh, training a lot. Uh, and, you know, with the advances that we have in technology now, you know, you, you certainly need to keep improving the training on, on that aspect too. Uh, what I do see now though, is that when we do have a, a, you know, we have a class on, let's say pumps and they're, you know, they, they, they teach you about the, some of the newer technologies that are on the pumps, which of course are a lot different than, than when I started. <clears throat> what I don't like is that they leave out some of the older stuff that's still significant. Uh, you know, when you're operating a pump, let's say, uh, you know, the, the pumps, now you basically just push a button and it's, it just does it, you know, you don't even have to do anything, but nobody says, you know, learn what the noises are that you're hearing. Like, you, you know, you know, something's going wrong before that computer knows it's going wrong. Uh, you know, feel your, feel your, uh, your, your intake every once in a while to make sure that the pump isn't overheating. You know, and, and those things don't get incorporated anymore, and they're still applicable to, to now. So I think the technology is great, and, uh, you know, it certainly helps out a lot with a lot of different things, but there's still some things that, you know, the training lacks as far as some of the older stuff that you would have been taught uh, that you're not doing now. Yeah, I think, you know, some some... And, and I think it depends on the instructor, too. Uh, you know, unfortunately, there are instructors out there that are just there to make money, and, and that's it. And um, and you can tell that, and, and the reason why I say that is is because it all depends. You have instructors that they will go above and beyond. They will stay past when they're, they're getting paid. They, they're, they're putting, especially if you've taken a program multiple times, if you you're if you're learning additional things that that means they're adapting the program to make a better program there and unfortunately there are some and it's is not just a Pennsylvania thing or anything it's just, I've taken training classes all over the country and 
you can see that all over the country where some guys will literally read off a slide and you'll do eight hours of death by PowerPoint and you you didn't really learn anything. You, yeah, you read a bunch of slides. So the, the what you read on the slides is, is, is great and you might have learned that part, but you didn't learn anything else. And were they really teaching you anything? Because I can, I can read a PowerPoint sitting on my couch. That doesn't necessarily mean, yeah, I'm learning what's that's there, but how it's applied or anything else or adding anything else to it. If you just go based off of the book or based off of just what the paper says to go over, even practical-wise, is anybody really getting anything out of it? I mean, you can't teach the engine company class that's been taught for the last 20 years you know, things have changed since then. You know, you, you, we talk about, you know, the differences between legacy fires and, and modern construction and and the fact that flashover is down to now like three minutes and 40 seconds till room's flashing over. I mean, it was starting to get that way. We, I mean, we've definitely been moving that way for a long time now with faster burning fires uh, from when I got in. But I know since you got in, I mean, you were dealing, when you got in, you were dealing with that legacy stuff yet. A lot of it. And when you pulled up, you were getting a lot of room and content fires, you know, maybe the second room off. Now, I mean, you, we're pulling into these fires now, and you got a second floor off. No such thing as a room and contents fire anymore. Very rarely. I mean, I was on one a couple months ago, and it was starting to make its way down the hallway. So, I mean, it was a room and contents fire, but it just started making its way down the hallway. We just happened to be up the street training. We were literally around the block training. Pager went off, and this goes to making sure that you have a, a your crew is a well-oiled machine. And it goes back to training. You know, the crew I have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that they all know we need to hustle. You know, they know seconds matter, and and those seconds can mean the difference between one room and two rooms being off or, or two and three rooms, which could mean the difference between a victim being saved or not. We got there, guys were running across the yard, you know, to, to get a size up. You know, I was running around doing a 360, talking to the people that were outside, making sure there were no victims inside. By the time I got back around, line was off off the rig. At the front door, guys were masking up, and we were inside, and boom, fire was out in two minutes from the time we arrived on scene. Because we were aggressive, and we were fast about it, and we were efficient. Doesn't happen very often. I mean, that was a great circumstance where we just happened to be around the corner. But, you know, I feel like at times you hear people, you, you try to teach something new and, and, and tell them that. And it's like, well, that's not the way it's always been taught. And, and I think that's the problem is, is sometimes in the fire service, things get stagnant and they don't move efficiently forward like they should. And that goes back to, you know, sometimes fire department doesn't like change either. Well, uh, you know, like, again, you could use your uh, your uh, class as an example that, that you had, which I, you know, I thought was a, it was a really, a really good class. It's definitely some, some unique ideas and, you know. For anybody uh, that doesn't know, that's the Street Smart Engine Company class that I offer. So it was, you know, it was definitely a, a change from your normal engine company operation class, which is, you know, lay your line down and pull hose and you know, and all that other stuff. Uh, so, uh, you know, your class was geared towards <clears throat> showing up with four people or less. And, you know, we all know that that's a, 
a thing in the fire service now, career or volunteer, that there's a lack of uh, a lack of people. Uh, so those are the kinds of things that the training modern day should be geared towards is, is, you know, doing an engine company class with four people instead of 10 or doing a truck company class with four people instead of 10, uh, you know, and figuring out how you're going to do that because that's the reality of what you're going to have. I know when I go to a fire, I'm going with four people. I know that every time. I'm going with at least four people. So it's a little bit easier in a career department to to do those things versus a volunteer department because we all know the volunteers. You never know. You never know. One day you could have 20, the next day you could have two. But your next due rig, even as a career department, your next due rig could get hung up somewhere, and it is just you four now, and you pull up to a two-and-a-half story with fire showing and people trapped. So, and you need to know that... Now that your second do rigs hung up, or maybe your second do rig, because I mean, you, where you work and where I work, second do rig's a volunteer rig. It's coming from it's coming from the from the volunteer stations. You might only get one one or two guys. You might get just a driver or, or paid driver or whatever. So you need to be able to well that now you can't count on that truck company or that second do engine company to go do a search. Now you have to do both tasks. You have to do both. And, uh, you know, that, that comes back to, you know, what we were saying before about safety conscious and, and, and aggressive. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I was told a long time ago that being an aggressive firefighter doesn't mean you're being an unsafe firefighter. Correct. And sometimes people equate those two to the same thing, that because you're aggressive, that you're taking unnecessary risks. I don't think any one of us would ever promote taking unnecessary risks. Uh, again, I like the, I like calculated risk. And, and again, that comes back into the, into the training again of, uh, you know, one of the worst things that probably ever happened to the fire service was taking away, uh, acquired structure fires. I mean, they would, that was the best training you could ever possibly get. It was a real live and fire. Thankfully they're coming back because of a small group of instructors that are really pushing the issue that have said these class or these 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 concrete buildings just aren't working we're not producing you know it's great for that that brand new person just to get them exposure but there's still nothing like dragging a line through a house carpet on the floor and 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 all that other stuff so you're absolutely right there and then, you know those were the those were the trainings that you learned those things and you know you you, you know you, you have one group going in to do fire attack and you know you have another instructor sitting outside explaining some other things to you like you know, look at the change in the color of smoke. You know, we're going from uh, pallets burning to, you know, walls burning and or in walls or, you know. And those are the things you learn standing outside, which, you know, of course, way back when there was no tech, you know, so you couldn't do that. But, you know, you could see things from outside that, again, you were doing that true size up, you know, and actually knowing what you're looking at. And that definitely got taken away. Uh, you know, without having those those kinds of trainings, for sure. Right, absolutely, and, I, and I'm glad they're coming back. Um, but, you know, some of the things that, that I try to focus on, like you were saying about in my engine class, is, is and I'm very big on it, is, is the hose and nozzle package. You know, you can't just throw a no nozzle on the end of a hose and do some generic formula and get what you need to be flowing. 
you know that those are exactly that they're generic formulas and the thing was is those generic formulas were good for back in the day because you only had one or two brands of hose now there's got to be 20 or 30 different manufacturers of hose just in the united states alone plus you can get mercedes which is made in canada so and all these ones you know some of it's still inch and three quarter some of it actually equates out to 1.88 inches so the 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 coefficients are totally different on every brand of hose and your rig is different than mine so your rig depending how old it is is going to read differently than mine is the gauges are you know if you got a 25 year old engine that plumbing is 25 years old you know even if you took the best care of it at, at the end of the day it's still 25 years old so to do so when you came into my class and I said, all right, we're going to lay this out. And we had inline pressure gauges and a pedo gauge. And you actually we got to see that, okay, this is how we're going to show that you're going to get 150 gallons a minute out of the 150 at 50 fixed gallonage nozzle. Or the, you know, to make sure that we were getting 150 gallons a minute out of the god-awful 100 PSI automatic nozzles. Or 160 out of the seven eighths smoothbore you can't just write down a generic calculation and expect to get that at the at the other end of your nozzle because if that's what it, if that's what you think you're wrong because that your trucks that your trucks different every truck's different every hose is different every nozzle's different and you're never going to find that out you know again going back to what we did you know doing that long stretch <clears throat> you know you're never going to find that out absolutely for sure unless you actually do it and you know again uh, uh, you know i'm I'm a fire hydraulics nerd i mean i'll admit it, i love it always did uh it, it's great for field work but you know going to what you're saying if you know if you really want to know what it is that you're going to get you have to pull the hose off and do it with that specific truck and find out what it's going to do specific truck specific that hose that's going to be on that truck that nozzle that's going to be on that hose line and you got to lay all that stuff out like we did in class and the thing is is you lay it out in the parking lot you get your baseline but then you got to take it into a building and you got to make sure that now after you go around three and four corners and up a staircase or down a staircase are you still getting what you found that you found in the parking lot which i guarantee you is going to be the answer is going to be no because now you put little kinks in the lines even even the best managed hose, there's going to be a kink somewhere. It's going to go around a corner that somebody missed. Or just, again, the elevation of going up to a second or third floor is going to change things. So people that just even just lay the stuff out in the parking lot, that's a great baseline. But, again, you have to put it in a building and see, okay, how, how did our, this hose and nozzle package on my rig react to going into a building and up a flight of steps and down a hallway. What what you know all those variables now? What is my pump discharge pressure to achieve? You know whatever the, your target flow is. That's the other thing is you have to figure out your target flow. You know if your target flow it it needs to be a minimum one fifty. That that is the standard. You know that is the bare minimum we we should be looking at. You know and and I and I won't argue. You know I know like some people like fifteen sixteenths and love that one eighty five. You know, some like the, the 175 at 75 fixed gallonage. I won't argue that. To me, as long as you're within that 150 to, you know, 185 range, you're in really good shape for your inch and three quarters. It's, it's 
it's got to be, you got to set it up for your crew too. Some very experienced crews that have the best techniques on the planet and are super experienced, you, that 185 at 50 with the extra nozzle reaction or the 175 at 75, that's not going to make a difference. Those guys are going to be able to keep that nozzle open and bulldoze down a hallway, no problem. In retrospect, you have the crew that might not be as experienced on, on the other shift. Or in a volunteer company, you don't know who's coming out. So do you, do you tailor it more towards like a 7 eighths and the 150 at 50? Yeah, you're not getting as much gallons per minute and gallons per second. However, it's become more manageable. So at the end of the day, those guys are going to end up flowing a lot of water because they're going to be able to keep it open longer because their nozzle reactions less. Those are all the things. There's actually a lot more to it than what's in the essentials manual. You know, you, you really have to, and, and the fire service is going this way, and there's a lot of great and progressive people out there that have, have stated this stuff. You know, what I'm, what I'm stating is, is nothing new. I'm just regurgitating what, what I learned. But it, it's the truth. And you know what? When I first joined, I never learned any of that. It was, all right, this, this line gets pumped at this pressure with this nozzle, and that's the end of it. We that's figured it, it out on paper. We figured it out on paper. It was, you know. That, that that friction loss calculation, that was it. That What I came out of the book was it. You do all this stuff, you see how wrong that really is. That that was just the baseline back in the day. Totally different now. Well, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that we've talked about this before that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't remember any fire that I've ever gone into that I haven't opened up the nozzle for 10 or 15 seconds and it's out. So uh, to me, again, with a, in a day of manpower and short, you know, manpower shortages and not, not, you know, not knowing who's coming and all those things, I think, you know, the better idea is going with whatever's giving you the less, the least amount of work, you know, whatever the least amount of nozzle reaction is, uh, you know, it, that, that to me would be, you know, my opinion on, on what you should go with, not so much a heavy flow. If you're looking for a lot of gallons per minute, then leave the inch and three quarter on the on the rig and pull the two and a half. I mean, that's that's where you should be going with that. And of course, it's a bigger, heavier line. It's harder to move around. I mean, you know, all the but a good well-oiled machine crew is going to be able to move that line regardless. You know, if you if you get into a if you get into a fire with your inch and three quarter line and you haven't darkened it down significantly in less than thirty seconds, then you're not, you're not flowing enough water. It, it, you may not achieve total knockdown, but when you open the nozzle, things should be getting better. Yes. If they're getting worse and you have the nozzle open, you have too small of a line. Yeah, you're, you're, you're too small. And, uh, you know, again, another thing that we got away with in the fire service uh, ever since I started, you know, is that those, those two and a half lines or three, three inch lines, whichever one you're using, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I actually, uh, found a, a, a department on YouTube, Stockton, California, mm -hmm. and they... I've watched a lot of I'll tell videos. you, I'm not a big fire video nerd, but I love watching those guys. I mean, they are... They get, they get in and get it. They are good. I mean, they are real good. And I haven't seen one single one of their videos that they haven't had at least one two-and-a-half-inch line pulled out. Every single one. They have at least one somewhere. So... Uh, you know, I mean that that that's just the thing to me. Like you, you know, if you're if you're looking at a fifteen sixties nozzle versus seven eighths to get that extra thirty 
know, 25, 30 gallons a minute. I mean, if that's the, if that's, that's where you're going with it, then don't pull the inch and three quarter, pull the two and a half. And then you're, you're, your situation solved and and i and i made this very clear even in that class i'm a big fan of the seven eights and the 150 at 50 uh you know i i like smooth bores and i i that's very also very well known but the the fog nozzle definitely has its place and i know some people prefer the fog because they that the fog is like the jack of all trades you know you can do everything with it uh, i feel like you can with the the, the smooth bore too but the the fog nozzle definitely is better for hydraulic ventilation. No no doubt in my mind, it is the better of the two if you had to choose one or the other. You know, when the automatic nozzle started coming into the service, it was one of those like what we were talking about before, the, the changing for the sake of changing. You know, especially task force tips. I mean, they sold the world on this is the greatest nozzle ever. And, you know, knowing what we had back then, it was significantly better. Uh, nobody ever took into consideration the what it takes to actually make it work correctly. And that's a lot of PSI. That's a lot of nozzle reaction. Yep. And, you know, and, and then 99% of the time, like we, we talked about in your class, it's not used correctly because you might be getting the right pump pressure to, to the nozzle, but because of the nozzle, there's such a significant nozzle reaction, you're, you're bailing it down. So you're not getting 150 gallons a minute. The the, pe the people in that in, in that class that you were in, a lot of them used automatic nozzles at their at their department, and when we did the hose and nozzle package evaluation and everything was pumped to where it was supposed to be, and then we did that drill of all right, well, here's your automatic 100 psi automatic and here's your 150 at 50 fixed gallonage fog, so both of them fog nozzles, and here's your 78 smooth bore and 15 16 smooth bore. Everybody, everybody, picked the 150 at 50 and the 78. Everybody, even the guys that were like, "Oh yeah, we've run automatics for twenty years," were like, "What?" At the end of the class, they were, "Huh, we should really look at changing." Well, and, see, and, the and, there, and it wasn't a change, just a change. It was a, "Wow, this was more manageable, and this is gonna be more manageable for my guys. They're gonna end up flowing more water." And mm -hmm. that, and that's ultimately what it comes down to is, I've seen throughout my career, the automatic nozzle. That's what I. That's what unfortunately I started with. Everybody gates them down because of the nozzle reaction. And yeah, you can get techniques and stuff like that. The problem here in, lies is some people don't have the best techniques. They're great firemen, but you know you get so much things going on and, and you're, again, less manpower. So you don't have, always have that backup guy right there to absorb a lot of that nozzle reaction. So the nozzleman's absorbing it all at this point because the backup man's around the corner halfway down the steps because... He's humping the hose up to the second floor. Well, which one are you going to work harder with? The one that's got 76 or 80 pounds of nozzle reaction or the one that's got 54 pounds of nozzle reaction? You know, and that's, uh, you know, all all uh, all real good points. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, the, the, the good part about what we did in your class was that, you know, using an automatic nozzle, you already know it sucks. You already know that it, you know, it, it, whether consciously or subconsciously, that it's hard to handle, it's hard to manage, it's hard to keep it open, it's all of those things. Uh, but, but what the good part of the class was to actually put the nozzles together and use each one of them right in a row. And you know, you don't need a class to do that. You could do that sitting at your sitting at your firehouse. You know, you could you could do that. And you know, it definitely opened up my eyes a lot for sure. I mean, I already knew they sucked, 
but then I really knew they sucked. <laughs> so yeah, I, I am absolutely one hundred percent against automatic nozzles, not just for the nozzle reaction re reason either. I mean, that's definitely a huge part of it. Um, but a, another big part of it is the fact that it, you under pump that thing and it still looks great. You could have 70, 80, 90, 100 gallons a minute coming out of that thing. And it looks great. But you have the 150 at 50 and the smooth bore and you under pump them. You see it. The water don't go nowhere. It, 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 dro it drops out 10 feet in front of you. You know there's a problem. That, you could have kinks around every corner and cut your flow down drastically, and the automatic's going to look great. And to the inexperienced fireman, all they're going to see is water's coming out. It looks great. To the experienced fireman, they know, man, man, this is way too easy to be holding on to here. Something's wrong. But again, with the inexperienced person, it's going to be, they're just, they know they're flowing water. You have the other two, though. The fixed gallonage fog and the and the smooth bore, and it only drops out five, six, seven feet in front of you. You know that you know there's an issue. Wait, wait a minute. This thing I should be able to reach halfway across this house. I'm not. I can't even get. I can't even get it out in front of me here. Something's wrong, and that's what I like. Is is it? It's kind of almost idiot proof, you know, in a, in a sense that it, it just it it shows you there's an issue. The automatic hides that. It issue. definitely hides it. You know, and and, and even like uh, you know, people will say, Well, I need that I need that automatic, you know, again, like you were saying for your hydraulic your hydraulic ventilation. We were just going over this at work the other day. We were doing a a bunch of positive pressure ventilation and that's again something that kinda went by the wayside, uh, it seems anyway, in the modern day fire service is that positive pressure ventilation. Uh, and doing it correctly. Doing it correctly. Well, yeah, and obviously it's got to be done correctly. You can't I mean, break out every window of the building you know, you and then try to out, get positive pressure. You can't break them all out. It's not going to work. So, uh, you know, when when positive pressure ventilation started becoming a thing, you know, probably in the early 90s, uh, the, the, the whole theory behind it was to do the least amount of damage to the property as possible. It's our, The fire has already done enough damage. Your hose has already done enough damage. Let's try not to damage any more stuff, you know. And it, it really aggravates me when I when I go to a fire and there's four inches of water on the first floor and there's somebody hydraulically ventilating out of a window when they could be using a you know a fan instead for something like that. And you know, again, it's something that you kind of got away from. I, I get it on the initial, you know, on your initial push. You got you know you got to get some of that stuff out of there for yourself. But there's no reason to sit there all day long hydraulically ventilating out of a window you know you're, you're just doing unnecessary damage right and and that's you know i'm glad that the, that the the fixed gallonage fog has come out because you know that was the whole reason why we needed to keep you know the uh, everybody was always like oh we can't go to smooth bores and this and that was because oh we need to be hydraulically ventilating and i agree you do but there's better options out there than the automatic nozzle. You have the fixed gallonage nozzle, you know, and, and you can over pump them and get more flow. People think that it's fixed gallonage that, oh, 150 at 50 and that's it. Well, no, you can still over pump them like you can a 7.8. You know, 7.8 is 160 at 50. Okay, well, if you over pump it, you'll get 175 if you over pump it by 10. So you can over pump those as well and get more flow out of them. You're just going to create more nozzle reaction. That's all. 
that's all that comes down to. That again, that goes back to just knowing hydraulics as a whole. But you know that there's just so many better options now. The the automatic to me, I people are just reluctant because that's what they've grown up on or what they came in the fire service on. But I definitely see the growing trend that people are getting rid of them or converting them over, which a lot of people, if you don't know, you can get your TFP converted to a fixed gallonage. I just did it uh, for the nozzles that I purchased. They, I bought automatic nozzles and I got, I sent them off to TFT and they were able to convert one of them over for me to a 150 and 50 for, for this class. So anybody that's got the, the automatics and you want to change over, but you don't have the money. Well, they, they, they cut you a huge break in just getting your current stuff switched over, which I think is awesome that they, that they do that. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I really put a lot into that class and I know you got a lot out of it, which that's what it's all about for me is, you know, I, I did that class for free. You know, that was a pilot program that I did to see if it was worth, you know, if, it, if people were interested in it, you know, or, or if I was just, you know, or if it was just, if it was just me being a fire service junkie, you know, and, and, and just being all in, in on the job. But you guys all seem to really take something out of that for that kind of stuff. You know, the, the hose and nozzle package evaluation and, and all the other things, you know, in that class. No, it was definitely a good class, uh, you know, and, you know, on the, on the training topic. And, you know, that's, that's, that's the kind of training, that's the kind of modern day training that we need. It, it needs to be geared more towards, uh, you know, doing more with less. You know, we all heard the saying, do more with less. And less death by PowerPoint, too. Less death by PowerPoint. I mean, PowerPoints have their place in training, too. I mean, again, it's, it's you know, like I said in the beginning, the, the, your training is the basis for your, for your, what you're going to learn, your knowledge and your experience and all those things. In a training class, the PowerPoint is the basis for what your practical exercises are going to be. You know, I, I, I do always think it's a good idea to have some sort of a PowerPoint, you know, some, some idea for, for students to know what you're going to do when you when you get out there it does certainly doesn't have to be eight hours long right i mean i mean this the the, the class that we're talking about i will my powerpoint's maybe two hours but it but it's not that boring death powerpoint i mean it i mean there might be there's actually a couple worded slides everything else is either a picture or a video and it, it just hits home the emphasis that i'm trying to on on what point i'm trying to get across with being a, a low-staffed engine company especially in the suburban and rural setting. So there really wasn't much wording on there. It was more pictures and video, and we talked about the stuff. And I, plus I had the props there. And I think that's how you'll keep the attention of a class when you need to have a lecture part of a class before you go and do the hands-on stuff. Um, did you see, did you happen to see the, because this goes along the lines of, of training, the video from Harrisburg City? I, I didn't. They were actually uh, listening to it the other day at work. Uh, the you're talking about the uh, the May Day. Yep, yep. So I'll pull it. I'll pull it up here, and and we'll do. Uh, and, and you can watch it live here because I posted it on my feed. Uh, I, you know, and it's. I mean, it it just drives home the fact of firefighter survival skills. Okay, so here's here's the video. And anybody that hasn't seen that video yet, go to 570 Fire Tactics Facebook page and you can see the video from Harrisburg City and the bailout that, that occurred there. And it just 
this video drives home firefighter survival training is the most important training I think you can have as an interior fireman. So you can see the guy up on the third floor there. And there's guys bailing out the second floor windows too. But this guy's doing exactly what he was taught to do. Down the ladder head first and then does the flip on the ladder. So yeah, that was uh, definitely a definitely a textbook. Uh, but you know, some of the things I, I saw in that video, kind of going back to the uh, the other things that, that I was saying before. You know what I what I saw when that video first started was a looked like a pretty lazy, you know, pretty lazy light colored smoke. You know, it didn't look like it was really doing a whole lot. You know, and, and you know, again, these are things that I think don't get don't get taught anymore. And you know, to me, that's that's a you know that's a fire that's that's getting ready to start well, doing and, some stuff. And there's a there's actually another video uh, that was posted by some instructors of the interior of that fire from a helmet cam, and conditions changed like that. Yeah, that looked like it changed pretty fast. I mean, you know, I it's been my experience to roll up on a fire like that and you get that lazy you know that lazy light smoke that you know stuff's getting ready to go wrong. Well, and, and, and what I, we had this discussion at work about this video because um, a lot of us know Harrisburg City guys, and they're some of the best firemen in the country. They are very well respected across this entire country. They're you know, definitely good. You know, they have, they have their own firemen's conference that people from all over the country come to, and they have, they have pretty much cornered the market on doing more or less because they've gotten cut over the years. Now, granted, they, the, this mayor now is bringing, really bringing the department back. Uh, as far as staffing levels go, but you know they're they are some of the most experienced firemen in the country, and shit went wrong. Not not anything they did wrong, just the fire changed drastically in a matter of seconds on them, and their training that guy in allowed particular them to survive. allowed them to survive because no matter how great of a fireman you are. Fire's gonna do what it wants. Yep. You can get in trouble no matter what. Yeah, it it don't matter. I mean, listen, you know, FDNY, DC, Harrisburg, it don't matter. They those are some of the best the best experienced firemen in the world. And at some point, every one of them's gotten jammed up at, at some point, someone in that department. Not for anything they did wrong, but just because it's the nature of the business. You know, things go wrong. You know, fire's gonna do what it wants to do unless we combat it really quick and even then when we're on on our game it throws a curveball and they got a curveball that day but they were ready for it you know that guy was able to bail out the ladder and come down head first and, and do the ladder swing i mean it, that was a textbook firefighter bailout and that's where it really drives home training for me is is there's a perfect instance where what some of the most experienced firemen in the state got into trouble and was able to rescue themselves out of there because of training, because of learning that stuff. And unfortunately, not everybody thinks like that, that, oh, I definitely need this training. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I taught, I taught survival when I worked at Toby Hanna, you know, just to the crew. And 
some guys had never really gone through it before, which it, it which I think is a problem in the way we're delivering some of our training. Because we always, you know, like in the essentials class, they talk about survival stuff. But you really don't do a lot of it. You have to take the firefighter survival class. And I, to me, that as the culture changes here in the fire service, you know, we're getting back to being very aggressive again because we have to be because the fires are burning faster and, and we need to get to these victims and, and get the lines in place faster. But conditions are obviously still changing. You know, we may have more instances where firemen do get jammed up. Well, if we're not teaching it, you know, guys come out of recruit school or out of essentials, and especially in the volunteer fire department, the next call that they go on, they might be a house fire, and guess what? They got their essentials and they got their burn. They're going inside. Yet they still haven't gotten any training on how to get out. No, it's definitely important. You know, it was one of the one of the better courses I took for sure. I mean, it. You know, you know, you're in for a good class when the when you have to sign a paper that says that you know the techniques here are are controversial and dangerous and you know and all those things. You know, it was definitely a really good class, a survival class. Uh, you know, and what a, what went along that class when I took it? I mean, it was a while ago I took it, but you know, they went over mayday procedures and all of those things, and you know, things that just again increase your chance of survival when things go wrong because. You know, like you said right from the beginning, you could be great fireman, things would still go wrong. You know, so if you don't know those skills, and if the crew outside doesn't know those skills, because that's not just a, a you inside thing. I mean, you need that support outside too. And if they don't know what they're doing out there, you're still screwed. Right. A absolutely. And you know, I, we'll, we'll, I think we'll kind of end it on this topic here. But you know, it, I, I was taught very young that. Day you think you know everything is the day you need to retire, and I think that is one hundred percent true. Um, you know, I have the luxury. I, you know, I, I'm a instructor, and I get around to see a lot of different things, and I'm always trying to learn something new. You know, even you know, I, you know, you hear a lot of people get bashed for 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 looking stuff up on YouTube and stuff like that, and I think it has its place. You know, I think if you look something up and go, oh wow, that looks pretty neat. If you go out and try it and train on it and learn it, that's a whole lot different than just watching and then just, you know, trying to apply it on a fire. I think that's two totally different things. You know, I think social media can be very beneficial for the fire service. Problem is, is it has a lot of negative effects too. Like people will watch a video like that one and they'll be like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll be able to. So that's how I get out. But they never went and took the training on how that act that whole thing works, because it's not it's not just a matter of climbing down a ladder head first and doing a quote unquote cartwheel around it. I mean, there's a technique to it, well, and if you that. don't do that technique, you'll fall right off the ladder. There's that, and again, there's that guy outside that's got to know what he's doing too, because we don't generally set two ladders side by side to go up to the window. It's you know well, and it and it's and it's setting the ladder up so the fireman can do it. You know, you don't want to send it at a 90-degree angle, you know, that there's barely any pitch to it. And I obviously it wouldn't be a 90-degree, but you know what I'm getting at, that you don't want to set it with such a steep pitch that they, they can't do that technique. You know, it's got to have, a, you know, it should be at 70 degrees. 
you know, a little less would probably be even better, um, you know, that it, that they can come out and down. But you you need to know that too. So you need to know what the proper climbing angles are for a ladder. You can't just throw it just to throw it. And you also can't throw it upside down or, you know, <laughs> you know, the whole fly in, fly out thing. That's that to me that that's a that's irrelevant. Um, the ladders have been tested you know, either way. Yeah, is one better than the other for, for taking victims down? Yeah, I think fly out's a little bit better for taking a victim down because you don't have that little notch out that you can get caught up on. But you're right. If the person, you know, if you have a, a fire police guy, and no offense to them, but if that's strictly what they're there for is to direct traffic and stuff like that, they're helping out in, in their own way having a thrown a ground ladder, they're not going to know that stuff. So teaching your people the right way to do things, or even just that that fireman who, who took essentials 30 years ago and hasn't taken another training class since and doesn't know that they changed the, the climbing angle or, or even know that that technique exists, he's not going to know to set that ladder up where it needs to be. You know, so that's that's where training is definitely important. For that kind of stuff. So, well, hey, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, it's great seeing you. I, we, you and you and I can talk for hours. You know, we usually do when, when we call each other or we meet up. Um, but I, I appreciate you coming on the show, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and and coming on here and talking fire shit with me. No problem. You know buddy. me, man. I could talk this stuff all day. <laughs> you know that because we used to do it a lot when we worked together. So. Well, I appreciate it, man, and, and take care and be safe. You too.